lot to cover. We're doing an extremely short series this, uh, this month. Our, our series on the church was a, a little longer than, uh, than maybe we would have pre-thought, but uh, we're going to do a Christmas series this year. We, last year, we, we actually followed the um, kind of liturgical calendar and did a traditional Advent, which I think was awesome. But this year, uh, one, we don't have time, and two, didn't really feel like it was what the Lord had for us this this year. So we're going to be doing a new series. We are entitling Baby Mama. Uh, we're going to be looking at two, two women in uh, the Christmas story. Um, so often, I was thinking about this for the last few weeks, um, so often we focus on the dudes that are involved in the story, rightfully, and we will focus on Jesus primarily. Amen? Okay. So because it's, it's all about who? Jesus. Okay, just making sure I'm in the right church. Um, but uh, when it comes to the, the other characters, we, we focus a lot, right, on, on the wise men, on the shepherds, on Joseph. Mary gets a good mention, but, you know, there's, there's another uh, woman who played a, a, a crucial role, not only in what we call the Christmas story, but certainly and especially even in the ministry and uh, preparation of, of Jesus' earthly ministry here uh, on the earth. And that was a woman named Elizabeth. Everybody say Elizabeth. Uh, if you're familiar with church at all, or kind of the Bible, or the kind of the story of Jesus' life, you may have heard of this dude called John the Baptist. John the Baptist was what the what uh, Bible scholars call the forerunner, or the the one who prepared the way for Jesus. He prepared Jesus, or he prepared no, he didn't prepare Jesus. He prepared the people. Come on, somebody, to accept and to be ready for, prepared their hearts for the ministry of Jesus. And his mother is a woman named Elizabeth. His dad is a guy named Zachariah. For the sake of this morning and for the sake of these two weeks, I would like to introduce you to Zach and Liz. Okay? So Zach and Liz, are, are they're, they're good people. They love the Lord, but they're barren. They don't have any children. And so we're going to be looking this morning and for the next two weeks at them and then their interaction with Mary. So we're going to be looking at both. We're going to look at Elizabeth. We're going to look at Mary over the next two weeks. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see what we can learn. My, my heart in this is to help us kind of understand the process that God takes us on sometimes, the journey that God takes us on from a place of of barrenness or unfruitfulness or or maybe to put it in a less churchy term just being stuck anybody ever been stuck before don't feel like you can move forward don't feel like you can kind of find your way through it feel like things are just kind of you're hitting a brick wall constantly you feel like your tires are spinning you're exerting energy but you're not getting any forward momentum out of it that's where we find Zach and Liz but before we jump into the word this morning if you have your Bibles you can go to Uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 5, and you might want to just kind of keep that propped open. We're going to be kind of making our way through, trekking through this passage this morning. But before we even read the word, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a living and an active God. Lord, I, I stand before you in awe and in wonder that you are so good to us, that you meet with us as your people, that as we as we worship you, as we engage your heart, God, that you are so consistent, you are so faithful, you are so constant in your response to us. And Lord, we know that the only reason we can draw near to you is because you have called us. And so doubly, God, we stand before you, debtors to your grace, debtors that you, you 
quickened our hearts to desire you, but also, God, that you didn't just, you, you didn't play hard to get, God. You didn't, you, you don't, you don't call our hearts and awaken our hearts and then hide yourself, but God, you awaken our hearts to desire you and then you promise that as we move towards you, you are coming at us. So regardless of what the perceived distance might be between you and us, God, it's, it is, it is certainly at a minimum half that distance because you're running toward us as we run toward you. And God, we rejoice and celebrate that. And, and we certainly stand before you in debt to you. And yet we find ourselves in this moment desiring and yearning for more. And not just another experience, not just another emotional encounter, but God, a, a genuine transformational meeting with you that, that our lives might be transformed. God, not just behavior modification, not, not just surface level adjustments of the way that we act, but God, a genuine transformation that grabs a hold of our hearts, that removes those dead and stony places within us and replaces it with a living, beating heart that runs and burns after You. So God, we come to You this morning for that kind of encounter. That we might hear from You, that we might look into your eyes that we might know the God that has redeemed us. Well, that we might be transformed by your word. God, give us the grace to be faithful and obedient to your word. Let us not lose heart. Let us not give up. Let us not grow weary. But let us hold fast to our confession knowing not that we are able, but that you are faithful in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. All right, let's get to know Zach and Liz. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now let's just pause real fast. We're going we're we're to walk through the rest of this, but let's just pause for a moment here and see a few things. Let's start off with this. Let's understand their situation. She's barren. In this culture, that means they have no, one, they have no heir. They have no one to pass their possessions along to. They have no one to give their position to. Zach has nobody, no son to raise up and teach how to be a priest. He has nobody to give the, the, the things that he's worked his life and, and amassed his possessions, his wealth. He has no one to give them to. On top of that, it also means that as they advance in years, they have no one to take care of them. Now let's look at them and, and understand kind of who they are. These, are. these are two people, to modernize it here real fast, these are, these are two ministers, these are two pastors, these are two priests. Now, now only men were priests in the nation of Israel, but, but Elizabeth, it says, was of the house of Aaron. That means her family was a bunch of priests too. So you, you've got a, a pastor who marries a pastor's kid. 
And now, you know, these aren't like normal pastor's kids that go sideways. Hello, somebody? They're, they're, they're not the, the crazy ones at the party. These are two kids that, that grew up, they, that we can assume they, they met each other. Somehow they ended up married. And now culturally speaking, they may have fallen in love. It may have been an arranged marriage. We don't know. But ultimately, you've got two, two people who fall in love and build a life together, right? And as they go through that life, as they're living that life, they're living, the Bible says, righteous before the Lord. They remained righteous, but you know what? They ended up being barren. What I need you to understand is this. Your behavior does not guarantee an outcome. See, we we, we want to believe that, like, well, if I do this, then God is now obligated to do this. The problem is, that's putting you up here and God down here. And the reality is that, listen, your behavior can certainly cause you to be barren, but sometimes that you can do all the right things. Come on, somebody. You can, you can do everything the right way. You can, you can, you can behave the right way. You can, you can do all the right stuff. You can, you can go through life doing all the right things and still hit a point where there is no fruit. We're nothing. And it's so easy in that moment to abandon right living. It's so easy in that moment to go, you know what, it doesn't work, it's not worth it, never mind. Can I challenge you and and tell you that if, if you are only obedient, if you are only allowing the Lord to speak into the way that you live your life, when you can see the immediate benefit of it for yourself, then your obedience will be limited to when it is easy, convenient, or when your perceived value of what you think is God's mandatory outcome is greater than the energy that is exerted on your part. We talked about this a little bit last week when it comes to being faithful in, 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 uh, in our finances toward God. And I'm not, this isn't a, a message again about giving, so calm down. But, but we talked about this, that this is not that when we, are, when we are obedient in stewardship before the Lord, it is not obligate God to now bless us despite what you might have heard on TV. Hello, somebody. Rather, they remained faithful before the Lord. They lived right lives. They lived righteous before the Lord. These were two good kids who hit a hard time. I need you to hear me this morning. Maybe maybe you're going through a time where you're not seeing the kind of fruit you think you ought to see in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, with your finances, with your job. I I don't know what it is, but maybe you're going through a time where you're saying, like, I thought I I would have more now. I thought things would be going better for me because I did all these, I did all this stuff that the Bible told me to do. I, I did what the Lord, I thought the Lord called me to do in behavior, and yet my life seems stuck. Can I speak to you this morning and say, keep being faithful? They were righteous before the Lord. They didn't let their barrenness, catch this please, lead to bitterness. Right? They didn't let themselves get all hung up on what God owed them. Because here's the truth. That, now, Understand, what they're saying here is they lived righteous lives according to the old covenant. But we also know from the scriptures that nobody stands before God blameless. And here we have these two who understand this. They, 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 they have a hold of this and they don't allow their hearts to get bitter. Verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn 
incense. Okay, I don't know if you get this. I don't know if, we, if, it's, if it's easy for us to grasp this, so let me unpack it for you real fast. Here's what we have going on. We've got, we've got this, this couple who's barren. Who, who bears the reproach of their neighbors. They're the laughing stock of the neighborhood. And yet they keep living their lives according to the Scriptures. Yet they keep living their lives righteously. They don't go looking for another way to make things work out. Well, you know, if I just, if I just hold back here, or if I just kind of, if I just, if I just do this next deal just a little shady, I just rip off this guy a little bit. Zachariah doesn't start thinking like, come on, Abraham did. Maybe if I just hook up with somebody else, things will work out for me. No, he remains faithful. He doesn't say, well, I'm not, I'm not having my needs met, so God isn't doing it, I'm going to go somewhere else. No, he stays faithful. On top of that, catch this, please. This, this honestly, if we stop and we, we take these people off the page and we put them into real life and we understand that this isn't just a story, but this really happened, not only do they remain faithful to the way God called them to live, he remains faithful in his service as a priest. So he's serving the God that I guarantee you he has a mile of people telling him is to blame for his barrenness. So he stays he stays righteous in the way he lives, and he stays faithful in service. I cannot even remember all of the people I know that have gone sideways in their service to the Lord because they feel like God hasn't done them right. Well, this, this desire of mine hasn't been met. This need of mine hasn't been met. So you know what, God? Fill in the blank. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm off. I'm, I'm going to go do that. I'm, I, I got it. I need to... I'm too busy to. God, if you're not going to, then I'm not. The problem is this. We have a completely and utterly messed up and skewed perspective of the reality of who we are before the Lord. And I mean that in two ways. I mean that on one hand to understand this, that as a redeemed child of God, you stand as a son before Him, having all full access to His heart and who He is. And I also mean that in the other way. And that is that you stand before God rightfully and justifiably condemned and you deserve hell. And yet in His graciousness, and yet in His generosity, the, pe- the penalty, the payment for your sin was paid in full, in totality, by Jesus. He doesn't owe you anything. Look, if, if the Lord does nothing else for us than redeem us, we will be eternally in His debt. What is it to serve a God who's given everything for me? Yeah, but I really wanted a new car. Great. Sorry you didn't get your new car. You, you do get Jesus for all of eternity, though. They remained faithful in serving they knew, please hear me, I believe that, that Zachariah and Elizabeth understood something. I think Zach and Liz understood that while, while faithfulness, please hear me, while faithfulness does not guarantee fruitfulness, unfaithfulness guarantees unfruitfulness. 
We, we learned about this when we, when we talked about the vine and the branch, right? That, that as we abide in the vine, we bear fruit. As we, as we abide, as you rest in him, as you are faithful in him, as, as his faithfulness becomes your faithfulness, as his grasp on you is solid, as you stop squirming and fighting and kicking and screaming, and you, you abandon yourself to his goodness and his graciousness and his faithfulness, fruit is a byproduct. All I know is this. I don't know how long being faithful is going to take. I just know being unfaithful will get you to unfruitfulness instantaneously. So here's Zechariah. He's, he's just being faithful. He's just showing up when it was his time to serve. He's just doing his duty. He's just, he's just there. He's just being faithful. Come on, somebody. He, he, he remained righteous in his behavior. He remained faithful in his service. Righteous and faithful. Let's keep reading here. It says that when he was doing verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. I want to pause there again. Just, just wait a minute. So, so we, get, we get that he's, he's being righteous. We get that he's behaving properly, right? We get that he's being faithful in his service. But can I push this a little bit here. It's not enough. Please hear me. It's not enough to just, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm being a good Christian and I'm, I'm going to church and serving in a ministry. That's not enough. Listen to me. If that's, if that's, if that's where I ended this, that would be legalism and that would be bondage. But the truth is, if you understand the picture here, if you understand the types and the shadows and what's being, what's being demonstrated here is this. He's, he's being obedient in his behavior. He's being faithful in his service. But he's pushing past the crowd. Come on, somebody. He's pushing past the herds of people outside. And he's developing an intimate relationship with Jesus. He's developing an intimate relationship with God. This, the, the, the picture of incense inside the temple was an altar that had embers on it and they would take incense and they would throw it on. Now this wasn't like some of us, come on, that used to burn incense, okay? This wasn't incense that just, you know, masked a smell. I'm not going any further than that. This was incense. What they would do is literally they would, they would grab so much incense that they would throw it on the coals that smoke and billows would build up and it would fill the room. Can I tell you, it's, it's not about your behavior. Can I tell you, it's not about even your faithfulness. Those are good and important things. But what the Lord is trying to do, He is trying to get you from the crowd into the secret place. Into the place where it's not about all that stuff. You're having an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Where you're talking to Him. Or you're pulling out your heart. Listen to me, I'm not talking, I'm not telling you this morning, just, just grab your bootstraps, pull them up real hard, and just grit your teeth and bear it, and maybe someday you'll have a decent life. What I'm telling you is this, keep being faithful, keep pressing into Jesus, and pour your heart out to Him. Because I can tell you something, I've gone through this stuff, and I know exactly what Zachariah was praying in that temple. 
He was, he was on his face and he was crying before the Lord as to the predicament, the situation, the, the circumstances that he found himself in and his family found themselves in. And he was crying out to the Lord. I know this for two reasons, but before we get to that, I want you to understand one other thing in the midst of this. Incense certainly is a type of prayer, but it's beyond just a typical type of prayer. It's beyond a type of prayer that says, God, give me what I need. Incense is a picture of intercession. Now, that's a churchy, big churchy word. Let me, under, let me unpack it for you a little bit. Intercession is different than kind of your standard prayer where we, where we just pray for our needs and, and kind of go through the Lord's prayer, right? We just kind of go through that. Rather, incense is about praying and lifting up others, can I tell you, you want, you want to guard your heart against bitterness? You want to guard your heart against going sideways when things don't work out the way you think they ought to work out? Make your life about somebody other than just yourself. I, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. I think part of the reason why I have not gone back into my old way of living is because I am fully aware that as somebody who stands as a pastor before people and before the Lord, I'm carrying other people. And if I fall, they fall. There have been times, uh, I don't think my wife will mind me mentioning this, where our marriage has gone through rocky places. Where our marriage has gone through rough patches because we're um, people. That's why. And when we've made our lives, when we have not allowed those problems to get in the way of still serving other people, it's amazing what the Lord has done in working those issues out. You can't make your life just about, no matter your circumstances, no matter your situation, no matter how bleak it is, no matter how frustrated you are, you cannot allow your life, you cannot allow your relationship with God to become completely and utterly self-centered. It is not healthy. It's just not healthy at all. It's miserably and horrifically unhealthy. So we see this. He remained righteous before God. He remained faithful in his service. And he developed the intimacy. He pressed in no matter what. He understood that, that this, this barrenness could either lead to him pulling away from the Lord or pressing into him. And he allowed the pain, he allowed the difficulty to push him into the Lord rather than away from him. So let's keep reading. So we see him now. He's, he's inside. He's, he's, he's at the temple. He's, here's what I want you to see. He's at the temple, which is our modern picture. A, a, a parallel we could make here is church. He's hanging out at church. He's ministering at church. He's, he's engaging there. Verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. By the way, that's how I know he was praying for his son. Because the angel shows up and says, your prayer's been answered and you're about to hear the answer to the prayer. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. Everybody say John. Come on, everybody say John. 
I need to make sure y'all are with me this morning. You shall call his name John, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Zechariah and Elizabeth remain steadfast in the way they live their lives. Amen? In, in behavior, in service, and in intimacy with the Lord. And I want you to see that where he went, where that led him in his life, was to the house of God. Now I make zero apologies for my belief and understanding from the scriptures that the church is not a side show, the church is not a side dish, and the church is not second to anything, but rather the church is the hope of the world. And I want to show us part of why I'm so passionate about that this morning. The first thing I want you to see is he was there. Okay? This is real simple. We're just going to land this plane here. He, he was there. Can I tell you, when you go through hard, difficult, painful, barren times, unfruitful times, painful times, unjoyful times, it's so easy to pull away from the people of God. It's so easy to go, you know, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and you pull away. It's so easy, church, let me, let me flip this and put it on all of us. It's so easy when there are broken, bleeding people to pull away from them. Because it's messy. But let me tell you something. The church is not meant to be a hotel for well-off people that got their stuff together. The church is meant to be a hospital for the broken, busted, and disgusted. The place you need to be when you're going through barrenness, the place you need to be when you're walking through a wilderness is with the people of God. Church, when we see broken people step into this place, we ought to welcome them with open arms and be okay with getting a little stinky. I remember the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. Even if you aren't familiar with the church, you've probably heard this one before, where there's a guy, he was dead. <clears throat> he was dead for three days. Jesus shows up, and he tells them, he, he, he walks up, after telling them, please hear this, after telling them that he is the resurrection, meaning he can bring back the dead, and that he is life, he walks up to the tomb that has a stone in front of it, and he says, roll away the stone. And here's what the people, here's what all the religious people around the tomb say. But Lord, if we open up the tomb, he's been dead so long, it's going to smell. Oh, that we as a church would not be worried about stinky dead people, but we would be more excited about resurrection and life coming to those people that Jesus is trying to pull some stones out of their heart. Come on, somebody. You need the house of God. But can I push it a little past that? You don't just need people. <laughs> if I'm going to be really honest with you, you don't need the people. Your real need is past the people. And into that secret place that we talked about earlier. Zechariah moves past. He's present. He's there. He's, he's there. He's being faithful. Come on. He's, he's there. He's showing up. But he gets that he has to go past where the crowd is out praying and doing the religious thing. And he has to get into that intimate place, into that secret place, into that alone place where all of a sudden it doesn't even matter that there's a crowd. You're alone with Jesus. He gets into the presence. He gets into the temple. He gets 
into that place where everything around, have you ever been to that place in worship where all of a sudden you forget that there's even a church around you? I want to say something and I want to make sure I say it clearly. Because there's power when we gather together. There's promises about the presence when we gather together as people. When the people of God come together. When we gather together as a church. When even when one or two, when, when one or two other believers are with you and you're praying, the Bible says there's a difference in the way the presence is there. But, but can I push this on us a little bit and help us see this a little different? That presence is there for you individually, not you corporately. Certainly God moves when we gather together corporately, but if you miss him individually, what's the purpose? What I'm trying to say is this, when we sing songs to Jesus, when we press into him in prayer, it's not just so you can have goosebumps stand up on the back of your head because, ooh, didn't, didn't the music sound nice? It's so you can meet and encounter the living God. We worship the way we do here because we believe Jesus can encounter you in this place. As we do that, we've got to press past the crowds. We've got to press past all of the distractions and leave all of the cares and the worries on the outside and just press in to him. He was present at the church and he pressed into his presence. He, he engaged in the very presence of God. But can I push it a little further? It's not just about you engaging the presence of God. He engaged the presence, but what he got was a word. Can I tell you what you need is a word from God? That was a good place to say amen. What you need, your situation, you know, I don't need a word from God, I need money. <laughs> right? I don't need a word from God, I need my spouse's attitude to change. <laughs> no, what you need is a word from God. One word, hear me church, one word from the Lord will change everything in your life because one word from the Lord created everything that you see and you don't see. And the word of God is the very thing the Bible tells us that holds all of this stuff together. Don't despise the word. Why, why do we open the word every week? Because I know that it is through this that your heart will be transformed. I know it's through this that your situation will be transformed. I know it's through this that your heart and your mind will be healed and restored to the place that God has for it. It is the word that you need. There he is before God. He's, he's present at church. He's showing up. He's, he's there. He's not just present and kind of passive, but he's actively engaging in what's going on. He's pressing into the Lord, but ultimately nothing shifts until he gets a word. What you need is a word. What you need is a word from God. What you need is to hear him speak and be transformed by it. Now we're going we're gonna to look into here next week a little bit of how... Uh, how Zach responds and how his response is not exactly appropriate, but we don't got time to get there this morning. I want to just zip ahead real fast and read you Luke chapter 1, verse 24 through 25. There's a little bit more discourse that goes on here, and I don't, we're not going to skip it. Don't worry, we're going to get there next week. But I need us to kind of get to a place here. I want to wrap this up. So he tells him, I need you to remember, what did he tell, what did, what did the, the angel tell Zach to name his son? John. Luke chapter 1, verse 24. It says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, 
And for five months, she kept herself hidden away, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I need you to see that the word was fulfilled. She conceived. Barrenness was for a season. Fruitfulness would be for the rest of her life. And I need us to understand something that God is not only allowing. I need you to hear me. This is hard to hear when you're going through pain. But I need you to hear me. There's something you have to understand about it. God doesn't... There's a Christian presentation that says God allowed it to happen and I want to tell you something and I know this might be hard for some of you that have gone through I'm talking real difficult stuff not like well I keep losing the lottery I'm talking about real pain I don't believe in my understanding of these 66 books that God simply allowed it I believe God had a purpose and a plan for it I believe God has set it to be that way and I'm going to tell you Two, two reasons why. There's a lot, but two simple reasons why. And I want to show you John in this. John's life, hear me please, John's life certainly, it says, brought joy to his parents. As we have kids, for the first little bit, they bring joy to our lives. Then you find out they don't sleep. <laughs> Slightly less joy, but still joy nonetheless. But the pain and the miracle that caused the pain to end, certainly it brought joy. But can I tell you, that's not the sole purpose of God. First thing I want you to see is this. That God has a redemptive plan that's bigger than your life. God has a redemptive plan that's bigger than just you. And I know that's not popular, and I know that doesn't draw big crowds, but God's plans and God's purposes are bigger than your pain. I don't care what the pain is. They're bigger than it. And God had planned for Zach and Liz to give birth to John who would prepare the world to receive Jesus. Could it be that part of the reason that God put you through the pain that he put you through, part of the reason God put you through the hardship and the trial and the, and the testing that he put you through was so that you could be the conduit of preparing people, come on, to receive Jesus. I don't know about you, but... I'm okay with going through some crap if it, put, if it prepares some people for Jesus rocking their world. Now I need you to get that. But for the sake of our hearts and for the sake of a, a full and robust understanding of the Scriptures, you need to grab this too. The other reason I believe He does it is so that you will have a personal understanding of who He is. The word John, the name John, do you know what it means? It means God is Gracious. I think Zachariah and Elizabeth understood the graciousness and the goodness of God more than most people. I think about Job. The end of Job's life, when he's looking over all of the stuff that happened in his life, Job was that guy who was, he had everything together, he had all of his stuff, all of his ducks in a row, all of his life was great, he lived right before God and he was blessed for it, he had all sorts of great stuff, kids and, and camels and 
fields and houses and all kinds of great stuff. And the Lord allowed, and the Lord allowed the enemy to come in and take all of it, take even his health. It's all gone. Goes through this whole process. I'm not going to preach about it right now, but goes through this whole process. At the end of it, God restores everything to him. It says even more. But here's the great part. Some people, I've actually heard preachers get up and say, the reason that the Lord let Job go through all that hard stuff was so he could give him twice as much as he used to have. That's not the truth. The reality is what the Scriptures say, what Job says is that the result of his trial was he said, I used to know God because I heard about Him. Now I know God because I've seen Him. Listen to me, the reason why God is going to allow you, the reason why God has planned for you to go through what He's gone through, big picture, He's got a redemptive plan that He's working out in the earth and you are been, you've been graced to play a part of it. But the other reason He's allowed you to go through the pain and the struggle, the other reason He's planned for you to go through the pain and the struggle is so that you can stop hearing about Jesus and start knowing Jesus. So my message to you this morning is simple. If you're a believer and you're going through a barren time, I want to just encourage you to be faithful. Come on, keep being faithful. I, I don't know that faithfulness is going to lead to fruitfulness, but I know for a fact that unfaithfulness will lead to unfruitfulness. Just keep being faithful. Just keep being obedient. You say, I don't know what to do. Okay, what was the last thing you heard the Lord tell you to do? Just keep doing that until you hear something else. Just hold fast. Come on, somebody. Hold fast your confession of faith. Just hold fast to what it is that the Lord has called you to, knowing that He's faithful, that He's He who promised is able, come on, somebody, to, to make good on the promises He gave you. Just be faithful. You're going through difficulty. You're going through struggle. And, and I, I'm aware that for most of us, in most of our lives, it's, it's never, or it's rarely, I should say, that we're struggling in all areas. Maybe it's just one area. Maybe you've done a really good job of covering it up. But the Lord would say before you, He would, he would call you to remain faithful before Him. Amen? And if you're here this morning and you, you're not a believer, you have not experienced redemption, you've not known the goodness of God in redemption, I would, I would call you this morning and say maybe the reason that God has, has put you through what He's put you through is to get you to a place where you're willing to see Him as gracious. And I'm clearly not promising you a pain-free, worry-free, stress-free existence in trusting in Him. What I'm calling you to, what I'm, what I'm calling you to is a life where you are reconciled back with the God who made you. What I'm calling you to is a life where your life is swallowed up in His life, where your purpose is swallowed up in His purpose. And let me tell you something, His purpose is way better than yours. Ultimately, I'm calling you to a place through repentance and trust and faith in Him where you get the greatest prize possible. You get Jesus as your God. And you get to stand before Him knowing that you and He have been joined and cannot be separated because He grabbed you. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to respond as is our custom here. Um, We're going to enter back into worship. We're going to engage the presence and the power and the person of Jesus.
If you're here this morning and uh, you are a believer, maybe you've been struggling with faithfulness, I don't know. Maybe you've been struggling with just remaining true to what God's called you to. And I just want to encourage you this morning to keep being faithful, to keep pressing in. Remember that He doesn't owe you anything, but out of His goodness and His graciousness, He will give you all things. So we're going to respond with, with communion and with, with worship, with prayer. Communion we take each week by antiquation. Just take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. We have stations set up on both sides of the stage. The, uh, the table is open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. If you've experienced His redemption, this is available to you. You don't have to be a member here or have gone through any kind of class. If you have not yet experienced His goodness and His graciousness, if you have not yet repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, we would ask you to abstain from this until such a time as you have experienced that. And if that is you this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to repent. It's not about you praying a prayer after me. It's not about you coming to an altar and crying. It's not about you filling out a card. It's about you finally, once and for all, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That means He's right and you're wrong. That He's God and you're not. It's believing that He did what He said He did. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He also did what He said He did in that because He was God and because He was righteous, three days later He rose eternally triumphant over all of His enemies so that there is therefore now no condemnation for you when you put your faith and trust in Him, but only everlasting life and joy in Him. And I don't care whether you've heard that a thousand times or that was the first time. The response is still the same. You repent. I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. Holy Spirit, we thank You. And we thank You that You are a good and a gracious, a faithful and a true God. Lord, I ask... Lord, I ask that you would move on our hearts.